positive feedback loop. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Positive Feedback Loop. This is the podcast where we take an ordinary topic and we have fun disagreeing with each other. I'm Steph here with my co-hosts, Luis and Ray. Hello. Hey, guys. So today's episode centers around one question. Do grades matter? Uh, There's a few sides to this. Um, One side is that employers and grad schools ask for transcripts, so maybe they matter that way. Uh, but are they an accurate reflection of achievement? So what do you guys right. think? Before we get started on this, let's make sure we're clarifying. Are we talking about grades for all levels of academia, including high school and below? So I think I think if you talk about the whole continuum of education, you can argue that grades probably matter the least as you get into the higher ed, higher level. So if you're doing graduate school, yeah, particularly like maybe MBAs, you can argue the grades are not as important as the connections that you make with the people that you go to school with. Um, you know, some consulting firms may argue against that, but generally speaking, I think in the younger education systems, when, you know, talking like kindergarten and grade school up to fifth grade, I think grades are pretty important. And I think they're kind of reflective of the achievements of the students, not all the time. But if your school system is properly, you know, delivering the right education to these students, I think the grades are usually correlated with the achievements of the student. What do so you guys I, think? I don't know. I disagree. I don't know if grades reflect well achievement. And I think of, for example, when I was in high school, the kids who would take really hard classes, be, you know, you, they'd have to work a lot harder for a good grade. And then you have the kids who took, like, a ton of cooking classes, which not to say that cooking classes aren't hard. They can be very hard, but just different level classes. Right, but then you're comparing apples and oranges there, right? So in that case, yeah, I would agree. Like, if you're taking advanced placement courses versus, you know, general ed courses, yeah, if someone is getting a B in advanced placement, but another person is getting an A in their general course, in that case, yeah, but when you're talking about when you're comparing apples to apples, like within the same course, within the same uh, class and group of students, I think overall the grades can differentiate students. Well, I mean, if you think about standardized testing, there's lots of studies that say standardized testing is reflective of how accomplished a person is. And it's true that anecdotally there's lots of examples where you know, people like drop out of school and they turn into billionaires and that's that's possible for sure. But I think not only is a G, like your GPA and your grades reflective of um, how maybe how smart you are, but it's also reflective of how hard you worked too. I think that there's a few things in here that we're not necessarily addressing properly. The first thing we need to take into account is the fact that yes, Grades are taken in context. No one looks at just, like, if you're looking to see if someone's good to go to your university, you're probably checking what they got that A in, not just that they got an A, right? And you do that when you look at all the students. Now, there is huge variations in the level of difficulties for the same class across schools throughout the country. That's going to be just a fact of life in this 
the quality of the classes are not necessarily the same everywhere. So that's where you also take into account the school, etc. And these are all things that are generally taken into account. Second of all is how do you construct that grade? Grades come from many different sources. They can come from uh, in-class participation. They can come from uh, exams. They can come from essays and other projects that you do. And all these things affect how much of a reflection a grade is on your ability to do, to do different things. Not all of these things that the grade might reflect you can do are likely to be useful in the real world, though. Not necessarily. And that's where we kind of have to take into account the fact that grades are really just a means of doing something really, really difficult really, really easily. You can't quantify skill easily, right? That's one of those things that is extremely difficult to do and you're unlikely to have someone, I don't know, a machine to quantify the exact ability of a person to ever do every single task of that nature. Like that, that's a really difficult thing to quantify and having a really easy metric with a rubric that any teacher can follow and use on any student across the country for any specific class makes that easier. And then you have within that class, within classes, they're similar, there's similar types of rubrics and there's different similar things taken into account. And that helps create a more comprehensive idea of the student, whether it's the best method Probably not, but there's, and that's kind of where we're coming to the fact of what, where's research going and what are some of the things that technology is allowing for us to test. I guess my Which, question in response to that is, is any evaluation method accurate? Something you said that kind of sparked this question in my mind is, uh, you mentioned earlier about, you know, some classes have a certain percentage of participation versus final exam. And when you see a person's grade, you can see the subject. So you're, I think you're right. People look at what did you get an A in versus what did you get a C in? Like, was it a hard or an easy class? But they don't necessarily see how the syllabus divided it out uh, among participation or exam or group work versus individual work. So I wonder how accurate an evaluation method can be. So, right, you can argue that grades are a pretty rough way to define a student or to um, quantitate a student in terms of comparing them to other people. It's really rough. Not, but if you think about what are the alternatives, like how else can we do it? Um, normally, you mentioned that, you know, it depends on how the class, the syllabus was structured, depending on the percentile, you know, criteria for grading that's a that's a big factor but everyone is graded the same way so uh, in the class so if they know how they should be graded they can work on whatever the requirements are and, and my point for grades being generally a good way to do things compared to the alternatives which i can't think of any really good alternatives that's my point if you look at the statistics according to the national center for education statistics Individuals between the ages of 25 and 34 who have received a college diploma earn 50% more than high school graduates when employed full-time. And now people who get into college normally have higher grades. It's very unlikely, at least in the United States, for someone who has high grades, even if they're dirt poor, someone has high grades, they can get into a school because most schools you know, respect 
grades, at least, and they respect these standardized tests and they give scholarships. It's don't you guys agree? Like anyone who has high intelligence can get into like any school pretty much for free if they really, really tried hard. Actually, that's uh, that brings me to a point because I don't think it's that simple. I think that how you're posing it makes it obvious that grades matter. And yes, I would agree with you in a system where grades are inherently one of the main determinants for your success. Obviously, grades matter. I mean, that's what college is, right? You can only get into college with certain grades because grades are a gatekeeper. But I think the bigger question is not, do grades matter when you go into a world where grades are inherently the thing that matters? And more, do grades matter from the perspective of, do they allow us to predict who will be good members of society? Who will be productive? Who will be the people that go out there and are able to do the best work to be the most creative, be the most intelligent, the most cooperative, whatever it is that they that we need them to be able to do after they finish their whole career and they have gotten good grades in the things that we are expecting them to be able to do. I would say that grades are significantly worse at predicting that than we would hope, but they're better than nothing. It's basically how I would put it. There's also industries where grades really don't determine anything. Let's say you go to art school and you just get really horrible grades in art school, but then you're producing amazing art, right? Then does it matter? Or you're an entrepreneur. So you go to, you know, through the MBA program and you get these like horrible, I don't know, finance and accounting and even entrepreneurship classes. You get horrible grades in all of them, but then you go on to start in like an amazing business making billions of dollars did it matter so i wonder but, you know where do it's what but wouldn't that be an outlier i mean that's the whole point right i mean if we're trying to work on a societal basis and we're not talking just individually or you know just anecdotally then we need to take into account the sum of all the parts my challenge so, is that it's not an outlier my challenge is that i don't know if the evaluation methods we're using in higher ed. I don't know if from high school all the way through PhD, but let's just say, you know, in college and grad school, are the evaluation methods actually accurate? Are they doing what we need them to do? Like you said, are they really showing us who could be a productive member of society or at a more simplistic level, who can be good at their job? I would say that when we're dealing with a situation, we're dealing with two separate questions here. One is, are grades an inherently good mechanism for identifying ability? And another one is about society's ability to accept grades and their importance. When we talk about the MBA, it's about grades being important rather than being predictive. Because I think that the MBA system puts very little emphasis on your grades rather than on, uh, you know, preferring you for you to network and go out of your way and in fact oftentimes you're told your grades don't really matter unless you're going into finance this is a really common thing to hear meanwhile in other environments where you're going directly from school maybe a trade school or something i don't know for sure it might be that grades are far more predictable you know medical school right you need extremely high grades it's very demanding there you won't get through unless you have you know this gigantic list of qualifications excellent grades and all these other things <laughs> 
then you make it into med school, and then you still do all the other stuff. Your grades matter a lot, and eventually you're qualified to hopefully not murder people. So this reminds me, actually, of a scene uh, from the movie Armageddon. You know, the movie where Bruce Willis, they have to save that asteroid, or save the world from a huge asteroid. <laughs> Wait, great idea. New movie. We do it from the perspective of the asteroid, and it's Bruce Willis <laughs> saving the asteroid from Earth. <laughs> it's just traveling through space, and there's like a planet in the way. Who's going to save it? It's a Disney film. Sorry. Someone Go ahead. along the way there must have not gotten good grades to make that movie. <laughs> but the point is, um, so in this scene, they were in like this mission control room. And they were discussing what to do next. Should we, how can we stop this asteroid from hitting Earth? And one of the leading scientists was like, oh, we just have to sh basically shoot it with a nuclear bomb or something. And then another leading scientist was like, no way, we can't do that. And then at some point, they're like, are you really going to listen to the guy who got a C in physics, astrophysics? We went to the same college or something like that. So basically, at that point, Everyone kind of, everyone in the audience, I'm, I'm presuming including me, basically shifted that power from the person who got a C to the person who you know, got an, an A in the class. They were in the same class. The one got an A, one got a C. And this is a time, a critical time to save the planet. So at that point, who are you going to trust? You know, it's kind of like, all right, fair enough. I'll go with the guy who got an A. That's this actually sounds a lot like we're talking about the sources of power, which is uh, an old uh, I forgot how, I think it's from uh, an article by John French and Bertram Raven, a uh, really long time ago, and basically talks about the different sources of power, and we have legitimate power, expert power, referent power, coercive power, and reward power are the main sources, right? This is basically the thing that allows you to be able to command power in your organization, your group of, or whatever it is, your hobby. These are the different ways that you can get it. And one of the ways that you can get it is expert power, which is you are you possess enough knowledge in a, in a particular area that people look up to you to know about that thing. And that gives you a level of power as opposed to some other some of the other forms, which are more just having being really charismatic or being able to give things, people rewards, etc. Ray's saying grades have this sense of power to them. Are grades just a sign of weak power, if there's such a thing as weak power? Because professors really have the full power to assign a grade. Students have all often said they feel like they jump through hoops to get a grade. So where does the power really lie in the end? Well, going back to what Luis was saying, you have these different types of power, but a grade can also come in the form of a status power. For example, certain people who reach a certain threshold um, can be inducted into honor societies, for example. So now you have a clear separation of people who have a certain GPA versus others. Not that there's any, I think that's, that's totally fine, and I, I think it's an important way to encourage competition, actually, and also encourage something to aspire to. And honestly, it's also kind of a way to give gratitude to the ones, to the people who might have put that extra effort in, spend a few extra hours per night, as opposed to others who may have just, you know, chilled out and said, oh, grades don't really matter. 
I think I think there's a lot of reasons why grades could matter in that sense. What do you think? This is a really cool discussion. I think we should continue on your point um, and talk about that, the gratitude and competition sides to grades, uh, after a commercial break. Don't you wish you would stop failing? Remember back in the day when you were 10 and 15 years old to have these terrible grades and think like, wow, I wish I was smarter. Well, now we have the solution for you. It's the Time Paradox Box. You take all the notes and homeworks and tests and paperwork that you currently have at the end of the semester and what you usually burn, you take all that stuff and you send it through the Time Paradox Box to your previous self, where you can use that information and knowledge to get A's. So come, purchase the next wave of education, the Time Paradox Box. So stop pacing and start acing. Time Paradox Box, you had it along. Welcome back. Before the break, Ray had introduced the topic of grades and the power dynamics of, the, of grading systems. So I want to know, uh, to continue on that topic, what you guys think. Actually, so this I, I find it funny that we're talking about power dynamics with grades, because traditionally... When you think about grades and people with high grades, you think of nerds, or at least the pop culture interpretation of what a nerd is. Imagine really heavy air quotes. And they don't tend to have a lot of power in popular depictions of them in existence. Generally, they're bullied, and they don't tend to do so well in terms of socially in schools. At least that's the pop culture interpretation. I think it's really interesting that we have this view of power or the power of grades as kind of being the inverse as them stripping you of power as you giving up power when you would choose to do better or strive to do better. But that in the long run, it does the opposite, right? At least that's the idea that we have in, in terms of how it should be that having better grades in the long run will reward you with a handsome career and all well, the wonderful things that go into that. Well, a lot of it, uh, you're, I agree. What you're talking about are soft skills. And I think that employers highly value soft skills these days. And it's obvious it's in studies. Like if you have two people with one with a higher GPA, one with a little bit lower GPA, but the one with the lower GPA is able to, you know, communicate better and hold the conversation, you know, more often than not, the employer will select the one with the soft skills. And if you think about it, these are really important because in a working environment or any kind of like project or any kind of, uh, you know, real life work, it takes more than one person to get a job done. So you need to be able to work with people. And not only that, I think problem solving doesn't happen in a vacuum. So without these skills, you're kind of powerless and your GPA just becomes completely diminished, like nobody cares about it. I think so there then, are some schools that are trying to make the grading system reflect on, for example, organizational behavior classes. So they'll teach organizational behavior like leadership or team building skills or listening or empathy. But what happens is there are assignments and you write about it. And therefore, you are graded on your understanding of the concept, 
but not necessarily your ability to incorporate it into your behaviors. So it's still not being graded. So how do you show that someone has great soft skills if they're just being graded on this productive performance? Well, you incorporate that into the rubric, right? You do, you have them cooperate with people or you have them integrate that into the actual challenges that the class is supposed to be posing and then how they're being graded on. But that is very difficult to actually pick up because some people are just shy in a classroom setting. Maybe they don't, that's not where they really flourish. Maybe they, they would do better in a workplace and it's difficult to figure out exactly who those are, how it is that they could be brought out the most. And a simple one-dimensional grade isn't really going to do that. Um, yeah, our current educational system tries to create a picture of a student based on grades and extracurriculars and all the other things that go into it, but it's not perfect. And that's what I was saying in the beginning, right? The idea that grades are just a simplified tool. And I think what's really going to be interesting is where we go moving forward in terms of trying to gain a better understanding of who people are and what they can do if so, brought out correctly. I, I agree. Before we do go forward into like how we can think of solutions to the way we grade people these days, let's look at the different parts of the world that are still very uh, primitive in the way they grade. You know, many parts of the country have very strict restrictions on how they're being graded. You know, you cannot become an engineer if you don't reach a certain number or you cannot become a doctor if you cannot reach a certain number. So like there aren't even potential possibilities of you uh, doing something that you want and it's all based on your grade. Not only that, a lot of cultures don't even spend any time thinking about, you know, empathy and relationships and uh, communication. It's all about, do you know your numbers? Do you, can you remember these things? Um, how well are you? But I think that's changing. I, I think it's changing. Yeah, so I think we're living somewhere in the middle. I, I'm not sure I agree. I, I mean, I think that, yes, there are definitely cultural differences, and these are worldwide. Obviously, every culture has their own way of doing things and their own views on what education is appropriate. But I don't think that we, we should be careful when throwing around the word primitive in any context. I know you weren't saying about cultures being primitive, just the way that certain parts of the U.S. specifically grade. But we just need to be careful with the word. And I feel like it, it's also good to keep in mind that we get valuable insights on the actual outcomes of education from the cultures that are doing other things. And right. that's really useful because then we can change our system accordingly just as they change their system by observing us we know the u.s is not number one when it comes to education we are definitely far from the top both in terms of outcomes and just basically every aspect of the, of the educational system it's not particularly modernized there's a lot of things that could be improved but the problem is that a lot of these things need to be done with a facts-based approach and we need to make sure that we're looking at those other countries and those other systems, even if they are very different from our very heterogeneous society. A lot of those societies that tend to do the best are homogenous, but even so, we need to take what we can to better understand what we can, where we I can go. I wonder if grading itself is primitive, and maybe that's the discussion we have to have. And I think of 
how some cultures, I'll say cultures as really subcultures like Ivy Plus universities, Harvard Business School abides by this non-disclosure agreement where students do not have to disclose their grades to future employers or prospective employers. So you have universities actually doing away with disclosing grades at all as some response to grading systems being problematic. So I think that there is this uh, problem with grading that people are seeing. And, and professors and students see it differently. Professors have seen students actually trying less when there's non-disclosure. Professors have actually talked about how Harvard and other top-tier MBA schools, because they have non-disclosure agreements, their students actually try less in classes than they did before that was enacted. So when they disclosed, when they had to disclose their grades to employers, they actually worked harder. Right, but even that, you would, you can imagine someone who does get a 3.8 during business school at Harvard, they will choose to disclose their grade. And the ones that don't disclose probably got on the lower end of, you know, 2.7 or 8 or something, you know. Let's not make assumptions about people, but... That's true, but... I mean, yeah, yeah I'll have I to say, it's... so when I, I mean, I was a high performing student in general through my life and despite nerd. having, I know, I know, <laughs> nerd but <alert>. no. <laughs> despite being a nerd, I actually had a prospective employer, uh, require that I disclose my grade to get a job. And despite having good grades or not, I actually was so offended that they thought that the measure of my being was in my grades when I was applying for this job that I refused. I actually withdrew my application <laughs> because I, I didn't like the idea that if I was a good test taker or if I had good grades, I, I guess it was me not wanting to be judged on my nerd status. I wanted to be judged as a whole person. And so I, I think, I think Luis is right. I don't think people across the board that the, the smart ones disclose their grades and the dumb ones say, oh, well, they I don't have to, but that there are some that reflect more deeply on the impact of, of grades on society. So, I mean, so this is where this is where we have a, an audio clip come in. It says, mad respect. I was thinking of having <laughs> just Homer Simpson's nerd play over the background before. I thought it was yeah. cool. She said F you to the system. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of been my my uh, response to a lot of things is is audacity, and I think the problem is that people who are performing very highly, I think you're right, Ray, on a, a, in general terms. I think that when people perform highly in a system, whatever that system is, they champion that system, even when they know it's wrong. So the incentives are misaligned, and then you have the people who aren't doing well by that system and so they champion going against the status quo we got to change the system because I the system isn't serving me I'm not performing highly in that system and so the only people that can really affect change where it needs to happen are the people who are willing to forego their status in some way to make the system more just and this applies beyond grades this applies to socioeconomic status this applies to really deep-rooted policy issues in the united states i mean i even think of policies um and i don't want to get political but i think this is pretty bipartisan 
adults tend to go for policies and push policies that marginalize children because they're thinking about the people who are voting are adults. And so they don't think about how this will impact a younger generation necessarily as it will them. And so the ones I really have respect for are the people who think of the impact their policies will have on people who cannot vote yet. This is something I find very important. And I think it's not just that you have that people have little foresight on how their policies will affect others, including their own children. People don't tend to think about how policies will affect themselves in a few years. Human lifespans are not infinite. And you don't stay 20-something, 30-something, even 40-something forever. You eventually become old, quote-unquote. But getting us back on topic, yes, I think that uh, what Steph is saying is right. We need to make sure that we're taking a more holistic approach to seeing people. And I have never turned down a job offer or opportunity because of you know having my GPA my, on my resume but I also don't put my GPA on my resume generally which I really should but I don't feel as comfortable doing that it feels I don't know it feels wrong somehow I think you should what do you mean by that because it's relatively high you mean uh, or it's not willing to disclose that information at this time I mean I don't I don't see <laughs> like I don't know I don't understand why that kind of transparency makes someone uncomfortable. I guess I can see like, you don't want me, you don't want anybody else to try to treat you differently because they think you have better grades or they think you're smarter. That's actually exactly it. You don't want to be treated differently because of your grades. That's understandable. I get I feel like whether I do well or poorly, so long as you're not an exact 3.0, People are going to change the way that they act towards you. Even if you have an exact 3.0, people who do have a 2.0 are going to look up at you and say, oh, man, this guy's smart or this guy worked. But maybe. But I think that only happens for like the first 30 seconds or a minute of interaction. And after that, like all the human things come together and the convergence of just being human makes it irrelevant. The problem, I, is, I, the problem is that people screen for GPAs. They go through and they say, look, this is all under 3.0, let's say. Let's just throw these resumes out. We're not even going to meet these people or think about them. And this happens all the time. There's always these these standards. From the business pers- perspective. It's a heuristic. Yeah, that's a problem. From a business perspective, it makes perfect sense. That's what all of schooling has been building up for, right? Creating some form of centralized idea of who you are that companies can then take and then look at examine and decide this is what we want and one of those ways of doing that is that gpa and that's an unfortunate thing that we deal with which is why i struggle with the idea of should i put this resume on and the chances are i'll end up putting it on if i'm sending a resume out when it comes to talking to people i don't use my gpa as a way to identify myself because i think that's silly but just for the purposes of social mobility i do it um but i sorry Go ahead, Ray. You no, I mean, I think the GPA is, it's a tool, right? It's just one tool to understand a person's potential work ethic, maybe. It, it's, it's a very rough tool, simple tool, inaccurate most of the, many times. However, if you have, you know, 100 people with GPAs from 3.8 
to 4.0, and then you have 100 people from GPA 3.0 to 3.2. It's just more efficient to start off with the 3.0 to 4.0. I'm sure you're going to have the really creative, outside-the-box thinkers who have also high GPAs. I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think people shouldn't be treated differently because of it, and I definitely think they do initially, but most people, I think at the end of like a few minutes, start to just be more normal about it and forget the GPA and look at the person as a whole person. But I could be wrong. I don't know. Well, what interests me in what you're saying is kind of this, we have this demographic of people that kind of fit into certain grade groups. And traditionally, most universities use the bell curve, the normal curve for assigning grades. And some, or I guess most universities, you have a curve within each class. So what concerns me is that you have these classes where maybe everyone, maybe it's not hard classes versus easy classes, which again, you could look at someone's transcript and say, oh, well, they got B's, but they were all hard classes, right? But maybe there are classes where a lot of smart people just sign up for that class, and it's not necessarily hard or easy. It's just all the smart people signed up for that. They all found it interesting for some reason. And so you're grading all these, these people who basically did A-level work and you're grading them on a curve. I heard one professor at BU had done that, had said, all of my students deserved A's, but I couldn't give all A's. It was the policy. And then you have another class, let's say, where everybody signs up and they none of them want to do work. And you're grading everyone up to this curve. So would it be so better the- then to curve at the very end of the entire school experience? But that's what they do, right? That's what no one looks at your individual transcript, or they may. But honestly, people just look at the last one. So the assumption is you're going to have a lot of outliers and like these grades that are maybe skewed a little bit based on the kind of people that are in the class and stuff. But the assumption is at the end of four years or two years or whatever, how many years you're in a program, by the end of those years, the average will be a decent representation of how hard you worked in the program. I find that to be generally acceptable. I would talk to anyone, including people who have like a 2.5. I think it's not a big deal at all. I think everyone has something to offer. You just got to dig, into, you know, find the X on their treasure map and dig in the right spot. It might also be that the people who care the most about grades and get the most anxiety-driven about them are the 3.75 and up or something. And then everybody else is like, dude, whatever I get, I get. I'm happy with my life and education. Agreed. So it sounds like we had a really deep conversation about many facets of grades. Mm -hmm. I think you guys have some really cool perspectives and I always love when we disagree and have those different perspectives. Thanks again to our listeners who joined us on this episode. I wish we could dig deeper. Comment on SoundCloud to tell us your opinions. You can also find us on pflpodcast.com where you can contact us with ideas and definitely tweet us at the PFL podcast. And especially remember to like our Facebook page because we post questions and polls to get your ideas, and we love to give shout-outs to our listeners during episodes. 
So thank you again for joining us and stay crazy. Stay crazy. Stay crazy. <laughs>